still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Over in uh, Kenya, it is said that often Paris 
sending their kids off to school, especially if they have a long walk to school. It's not uncommon for a mother to say, watch out for the lions. Can you imagine? Imagine you live in this area. Watch out for the crazy guy. You'll hear it coming. Can you imagine the threat? Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the terror? But when Jesus gets out of the boat, he meets the man, this man who is night and day tormented by this legion of demons. And immediately he will fall down to Jesus and cry out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? And I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of you, O man, you unclean spirit. And you notice in verse 10 that the man who is consumed by the legion will begin to beg Jesus, more than likely not speaking of his own desire, but clearly speaking by the influence of the demons. And he will beg not to be destroyed, but he will beg, since you're here, and I know what you're going to do, Lord, you're going to send me from this man. There's some pigs over here. Let us go to the pigs. Which, in and of itself, is why beyond Notice verse 13. So he, Jesus, gave him permission. And the unclean spirits came out and they entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. That'd be quite a sink, don't you imagine? A herd of pigs running. A herd of pigs going into the sea. 2,000 pigs out of it. Can you see that in your mind? But it says in verse 14, the herdsmen fled and they told it to the city and the country. And the people came to see what had happened. So they run to this cliff and they look out and they see all the pigs. Their investment. Their pigs drowned. And they came to Jesus, and then they saw this. They saw the demon-possessed man. The one, and notice how Mark writes it, the one who had had the legion. He's different. He's different now. Because he's sitting there clothed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And notice what they said in verse 17. All these people who had been tormented by this demon-possessed man, who had been living in fear, who had been doing all that they could to chain him down, who had been doing everything within their power to try to provide peace and safety for their community. Now, when the peace has arrived, when the safety has arrived, and more importantly, this demon-possessed man has been been freed. Notice what they do in verse 17. They say to the one who freed him, they say to the one who saved him, they say to the one who brought peace to their community, please leave. Anybody else a little troubled by that? Now, I guess you could say from an economic point of view, they were a little ticked off. They lost a lot of money. More than likely, these aren't Jews, but they clearly were bacon lovers. 
but they also had come face to face with the Lord. And if he can do that to demons, what would he do to us? Maybe is their thought. But I want you to notice the expression. The man that did have the demons is clothed and he's in what? His right mind. I want you to consider this story because this story is rich in irony. Listen, who's the one in his right mind now? The one who's no longer with the demons, the one who's standing here clothed. But who has lost their mind now? The people who say to Jesus, get out. And I think you could make the case that almost indirectly, although the demons went into the pigs and drowned in the sea, their influence had now spread to the people of the land. And those who thought they were in their right mind have lost their minds. And the one who had literally lost his mind is now in his right mind because he is with Jesus. I want this story to stick into your mind because we're actually going to go to a passage that is actually written to the church of Ephesus. I want you to turn over to 1 Timothy, all right? 1 Timothy, because when you get over to 1 Timothy, what you're actually going to find is this is a text, this is a text that speaks to us about the idea of sound living. And what you find when you read through the words of Paul as he writes to Timothy, Timothy is indeed writing and, and sharing sermons to brethren who live in Ephesus. They're living in a world that you might say has lost its mind. They're living and trying to function in a society in which everything about religion and everything about life is so confusing. I want you to imagine, if you will, that in this community, there is a predominant overriding desire to worship a goddess by the name of Diana. That's hard for us to fathom, right? I mean, if somebody was coming through even Gainesville today and trying to sell icons to some sort of a Greek god, we'd go, oh, you're crazy. Well, what is that? They were building a big temple. And we'd say, oh, you're crazy. They were living in it. But the sad part about it was maybe the crazy from the outside is now getting to the inside because what Paul is going to encourage Timothy to say to the brethren is, don't lose your minds. And there's going to be a repetitive thought throughout this letter. If you would, turn over to 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. I want to show you a couple of words here. In 1 Timothy 2 and in verse 9, he's speaking of women, godly women who have given themselves to the Lord and they are to adorn themselves in respectable fashion. They are to be modest. And you'll notice as it says in verse 9, self-controlled. Remember that word, self-controlled. A little bit later in verse 15, speaking of godly women who have given themselves in service to the Lord, she shall be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and with self-control. Now, it's not just the women that he shares this admonition with. Go to chapter 3 now. In chapter 3 and in verse 2, speaking to men, especially those men who are to be leaders in the church, the overseer who must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded and self-controlled, respectable, 
and hospitable and able to teach. What's interesting when you look at that word there that is defined and translated in your text, self-controlled, it is the exact same word that when we go back to the story of the man who is demon-possessed and in his right mind, it's the same word for right mind. In other words, what Paul's point is this. The self-controlled individual is the individual who is indeed of sound mind, in their right mind. They're able to control their passions, therefore they have self-control, and they are able to think soberly, or as Strong's puts it in his dictionary, having a sober outlook that reflects true balance. It's as if what Paul is saying through Timothy is, Encourage the brethren to be in their right mind. Don't lose their minds. And how do you lose your mind? Well, women, when you lose your mind, when you give yourself over to immodesty, you're not in your right mind. When you're not respectable, when you're not submissive. Husbands, how do you lose right-mindedness? When you're not leading as a good man should in his home. When you are not respected, you have lost the self-control. The right-mindedness is something that must be a part of our life, and it's not typically how you think of it. Think back again to the story of the demonic man. The guy who everybody thought lost his mind was the guy who really was in his right mind, and everybody who thought they had the right mind were the ones who lost their minds. And that shows us how deceptive Satan can be. Paul will also use a word over and over again, and it's the word sound in this text. Go back to chapter 1 now. In chapter 1 and in verses 8 through 11, he says, now we know, this is chapter 1, verses 8 through 11, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for men who practice homosexuality, for enslavers, for liars, for perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to what? Sound doctrine. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted Turn, if you would, to the end of the book. Go to chapter 6 now. In chapter 6, and in verses 3 through 4, he says it like this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit, understanding Nothing. Now here the word isn't exactly right mind. It's often translated the idea of sound, but it's the word where we get hygiene in the Greek. And it simply means to be of good health, to be free of mixture of error. It is to be in good spiritual health. So when you think about it and you look at the overall context of what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy, for Timothy to impress upon the brethren of Ephesus, is that they be of their sound minds and that they be healthy in the way that they think and in the way that they serve the Lord 
in others. Good health. <laughs> Can anybody define that for me? Good health. See, I'm curious, anybody here like to go to the doctor? Isn't that funny? Most of us don't like to go to the doctor. Isn't that the weirdest thing? But we know the doctor's what? Well, it's good for us. Well, why don't somebody like to go to the doctor? It's funny, I've got to take my dog to the vet here in, in a week or so. Even my dog doesn't like to go to the doctor. I know what's going to happen, and, and now that it's no longer in the pandemic, and they make me, they used to make you sit in the car, and you'd have to see your dog just be carried off in there looking back at you. I know what's going to happen. You're in the waiting room. She's got a special table that she likes to crawl under, and that's where she just stays and shakes. And the dog, I say, how does she know? You know? But we know doctors. Doctors sometimes give us an examination, and the examination may hurt. It may be unpleasant. And, and sometimes the prescription for better health is not desirable. So therefore it takes discipline, right? And generally when we're not healthy, we don't want to be disciplined to do what we know is good for us. And then you have this. You know anybody who's ever said, oh, that doctor doesn't know what he's talking about? You ever heard that? Sure you have. You've probably said it. You've walked out of the doctor's office. I don't know what he's talking about or she's talking about, but I just read a blog the other day that French fries lead to longer life. <sighs> what is this? But we know deep down that the reason we're generally not healthy more often than not is because we didn't have the discipline to do what is healthy. I want you to go back now to 1 Timothy 6, and I want you to notice something that Paul shares here. Because what he shares is something that he's actually repeated through the whole text, and that is the idea of the false teacher. And what the false teacher, as we left it off, the one in verse 4 who's puffed up with conceit and doesn't have understanding, notice he says he has an unhealthy craving for controversy or for quarrels about words. He does what produces envy or dissension or slander or evil suspicions. He's constantly leading to friction among people. He's of a depraved mind and deprived of truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See what Paul's actually doing? Is he's challenging us to see and understand that we can easily be deceived. And not knowing it, we could actually become like the people who said to Jesus, leave, while thinking we're sound, when in reality, we're not in our right mind. Go back to chapter 1 now, verses 3 through 7, all right? Chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. As I urge you, as I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. 
so that you may be able to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, but without understanding either they are saying or the things that they are making confident assertions. What's his warning? Be careful of listening to the person who may sound all godly, but is taking you away from the word. Notice in verse 20 of chapter one, what have Hymenaeus and Alexander done? Well, he's given them over to Satan. Now, remember our analogy, you had the demons. Remember the demons? And you had the guy in his right mind. You know what Paul does throughout this letter? Is he reminds us that not following the will of God, not following God's standards, you're actually giving yourself over to demonic thinking. If you think back to the story of those men who were upset and sending Jesus away, who's now demon-possessed? Well, they are. The selfishness of the evil one has got into their hearts. Paul says there's men like, Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've headed over to Satan that they may not blaspheme. Go to chapter 3, now verses 6 through 7. He's warning that you don't put a man in leadership role who's a recent convert. Why? Because he may become conceited. Notice 1 Timothy 3, verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by the outsiders. Why is that? So that he may not fall into disgrace or into the snare of the devil. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by the devoting, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving for those who believe and know the truth. And go to chapter five, verses 14 and 15. When he speaks of purity, here specifically now he's speaking to women. Be careful be careful, for some have already strayed, verse 15, after Satan. I've said all this to get to this point right here. Here's what I want you to think about. Is this a sound church? Is this a sound church? I can't tell you how many times somebody will call the building and they'll ask that question. Is this a sound church? What do you mean? Or somebody will call and say, hey, I'm going out of town. I'm looking for a sound church. You know a sound church in that area? And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And most of the time, most of the time when somebody uses, anybody ever heard that terminology? You heard that? Most of the time when somebody says that, 
they have one or two issues in mind. And they want to find out if this church practices these one or two issues. Generally, it's about finances or about something else in a physical nature. And that's, that's the litmus test. Or is this a sound church? Every now and then, you'll have parents who will come here looking for a sound church for their kids who may be going off to college. Is this a sound church? And again, those... Two things are shared. I want you to think about it, though, in light of what Paul says as you look through this entire letter. Sound living is more than just one or two issues, folks. And a sound church is not just about how a church spends its money. In fact, I would challenge you to even find that concept specifically in Scripture, sound church. Sound, healthy, right mind, almost invariably every time is referring to the individual. Are we sound? So here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you just to look at this through the eyes of Paul as he's speaking to Timothy, as Timothy is speaking to people who are living in a world that's lost its mind. Ask yourself the question, am I sound? Am I healthy? And here's some things to consider, and these all come straight from 1 Timothy. Are you ready? What is my thought And what do I teach regarding morals, holy living, marriage covenants, God's plan of salvation, or respect for the word of Christ? To me, all that has a lot to do with sound teaching, right? Look at the leadership of a church. That's what Paul does here. Look at the leadership of a church. What are their marriages like? What are their lifestyles like? What are their homes like? Because invariably, you can almost look at those homes and you can look into the homes of the brethren. And I would say say this, if you're looking for a sound church, you want to know a good way to determine if this is a sound church or not, ask, where are the kids who grew up in this church? Are they walking with the Lord? So I don't know about you, but if I was to enter a situation in where half the kids are not walking with the Lord. Would you take a 50-50 chance and say, well, this is sound? Would you do that? What's being taught? How's it being instilled? Are people growing spiritually? Is there a spiritual fervor and desire? And are they inspired to share the word of God? I'll tell you what's unhealthy. I may sound like a doctor here. What's unhealthy is just thinking you're healthy because you went to the doctor. I went to the doctor. I'm good. What did he say? I doesn't matter. I went. No, I don't make you healthy just going to the doctor. Just like it doesn't make you sound just because you went to church. I'm glad you're here. Thrilled you're here. It's where you need to be. We don't come to check off a box. That's not healthy. That's not healthy. 
Are the older men respected? Are they lifting up their hands and holy living to the Lord? Are they instructing the younger men? And are the older women living modest, humble lives? Are they respecting their husbands and are they teaching younger women? That's all in this letter also with respect to sound living. And then look at this. Go, go, go to the end of 1 Timothy. Go to chapter 6. He's going to do something that I really wish he didn't do. He's going to talk to us about how we spend our money. Talk about going to the doctor. Verse 8. If we have food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Anybody got a Sharpie? I'm just going to take that one right out. Well, you think about that for a moment with healthy living. With food and clothing, be content. I tell you what can be unhealthy, and this may be a little challenging, is that often we use our jobs, the blessings that God's given to us, as an excuse for not being more active in the Lord's work. That's not healthy thinking. Man, I'd love to be involved, but boy, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. I've got to take care of this. I've got to do that. Well, that's, that's great that you have those wonderful responsibilities, but are we using the blessings that God's given us as a reason not to serve? Well, if I make just a little bit more, I got to, really? Sometimes we can kind of lose our mind, can't we? That's scary. Yeah, I struggle with this because I know right now in our world and in the society we live in and the challenges we live in, we're all having a cow over gas prices, right? And we're looking for somebody to blame, right? Maybe the Lord's doing it. And maybe he's wanting to see how content we are. With food and clothing, be content. And maybe we don't need to be blaming everybody else for problems. Maybe if we have a problem with it, we should be looking at ourselves and blaming ourselves. Why am I getting so upset? Now, again, I'm not justifying injustice. But Paul digs us hard here. Notice verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. They fall into a snare in many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Why did they ask Jesus to leave? He killed their pigs. Lord, don't take away my pigs. My pigs are important. I got to make more pigs. Then you can count me in. That's what Paul's saying. That's not sensible thinking. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And through its craving, some have wandered away from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many pains. I wish that wasn't in there. Back, go a little bit later in the text, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, 
nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good and be rich in what? Good works. To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasures of a good foundation for the future. Here's another question. Are we sound? Do we honor the elderly? Do we honor the widow? Do we hold her up in high esteem and care for her? That's all in chapter five. Do we provide for our own? Do we care for them and help them, not only in their physical needs, but in their spiritual needs? You see, really, being in your right mind is more than just where you go to church. Paul says this is healthy thinking. So here's what I'd like for you to do this week, all right? This is your challenge. You ready? I want you to read through 1 Timothy. Read through 1 Timothy. You're going to the doctor. You'll be fine. Trust me, you'll live through it. Sure, it may hurt a little bit. But go back and look at what it really means to be in your right mind and to be healthy. You know, Paul Paul, who's sharing this with us, was actually accused one time of being out of his mind. If you were to go over to the book of Acts, he's before a fellow by the name of Agrippa, and Paul's sitting there expounding about Jesus and the gospel and how he's given up all these things on the earth that usually lead to great fame and prosperity among the Jews, and he gave them all up for the cause of Christ, and now he makes it his aim, and his only aim is to encourage everybody to follow Christ, and Agrippa goes, Paul, you've lost your mind. You're out of your mind. And Paul goes, oh, no, I haven't. I'm the only one in this room in my right mind. You've lost your mind. Because Jesus is in everything to you. Think about it. Who tells Jesus to leave? Are we going to say they're in the right mind? One more thing. You know what Paul says sound thinking is? It's keeping our eyes focused on eternity. And you find this all through the text. Notice in chapter four and in verse eight, he says bodily training has some value. You see there, that's why you should exercise. It's right there in scripture. But godliness is a value in every way as it lays hold of the promise for the present life and for the life to come. Chapter four, verse 10, and for this end we strive because we've set our hope and we've set it on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. If I can give some words of wisdom to all the graduates here this morning, this needs to become your motto. You set your hope fully on the living God. I know that you have great plans and great desires to go maybe find a job or great degrees that you're seeking out or great things that you're wanting to do. That's fine and dandy, but don't take your eyes off the living God and make him first and foremost in everything you do. And don't you lose him for the pursuit of degrees, money, or ambitious goals. Chapter five, verse 24 the sins of some are obvious, says Paul, and they're going before them to judgment. Chapter 6, verse 7. We brought nothing into this world, and guess what? 
Take nothing out. Chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Chapter 6, verse 14. The person whose sound of mind keeps the commandments, unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 6, verse 19, we saw this just a moment ago. To be rich in good works, storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. And I love this line so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The demon-possessed man, wouldn't you have loved to have got into that mind? There was a lot going on, wasn't there? But look at his joy when God gave him his mind back. May we be that person to be transformed by Jesus in the renewing of our minds and to be in our healthy, right mind because we see and follow what the Lord wants us to do. Isn't that fascinating? Sound living. Sound living. This morning, can we encourage you to love the Lord with all your heart and with all your mind? To come to the Lord so that He can free you from Satan. And the clothing that you'll put on today is the clothing of his garment. For as many as are baptized into Christ have put on Christ to be in your right mind and healthy. And that's what the blood of Jesus does for us. And when we do that, can we commit ourselves to that kind of living? That kind of commitment to be one who shows the world what a right mind really is, what a sound mind truly is, what a healthy life truly is, to be with Jesus. If we can encourage you to do that this morning in any way, won't you come while we stand and sing? The Lord is in his holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence, peace.